Well, good morning. My name is Mike Silman. I'm the Karen Connections Pastor here at Grace. And uh, I'm excited to be able to open God's Word together today, continue our series that we're in called Relationships. Relationships. Last week, uh, we learned uh, something very important that we need to have a foundation um, that is strong. One that when uh, the storms come and the trials come, that it will be long lasting. And uh, so so far through this series, we've, we've learned that uh, if, uh, if you're single, that, uh, you know, you need to make a list. And uh, that list needs to be a list that contains all of the qualities that lines up with God's word and that we shouldn't compromise on, on, on that list. And we shouldn't settle for anything less than God's best uh, as we prepare that list. We learned for those of you that are single again, that have been through uh, the pain of, of divorce, that uh, there are times uh, in our lives where we need to take a break and we need to enter into the word that we've learned is rehab. And we need to allow God to, to work in our lives as, as individuals so that we can become the person that the person uh, we are trying to find, uh, you know, who the person that we're trying to looking for is, is looking for. And that, that involves sometimes going into uh, rehab. We also learned last week that if you're married, uh, that uh, we shouldn't date our, our spouses. You guys remember? Remember that last week that uh, that we 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 uh, dating ends when we get married, and I, I kind of thought it was kind of funny uh, because I watched social media after Pastor Jim said that, and and couples, different couples, uh, they went out on their uh, date night, and uh, they they were being very creative, and and so there was ver- some very creative words and names and phrases to replace the word and the phrase date night. I thought I'd share a couple that I came across, maybe. You came across some as well. Uh, my wife and I went out on an undate night, okay, and so and we made sure to tag Pastor Jim in that in that post. I, I saw someone else. They went on a till death do us party. See what I did there? See what they did there? Pretty creative, right? Pretty creative. Uh, I saw another couple. Um, they uh, they threw away date night and uh, they went on a perpetuating marriage night. And so that was their term. That's a mouthful. Uh, and then uh, I saw somebody else said, hey, we're, we're going holy matrimonying. Holy matrimonying. Kind of lacks the, you know, the, 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 the pizzazz maybe. I don't know. I really like this one. Some, uh, one couple, I'm sure it was a dude uh, that came up with this, said that we're going out on a song of songing night. A song of songing night. I kind of like that one. That one might stick. Uh, another couple said, hey, this is our priority night. Our priority night. I thought that was cool. And then uh, another one, another couple said that they, uh, they're going out on an RBI. An RBI. That stands for Relationship Building Initiative. Okay? And so, yeah, we had, we had a lot of fun uh, with that. And, um, but the reality is, maybe you were here uh, over the past couple of weeks. Truth be told, there's, there have been some, some very hard teaching from God's word. And uh, if we're honest, maybe for some of you, you find yourself at a place where you feel as though the Band-Aid has been ripped off. And... Uh, uh, and you're struggling uh, because, you know, you hear of all this talk of having a, uh, a marriage that's based on having a firm foundation or uh, maybe you're single and you've made, you know, some poor choices and, uh, and you wonder, you know, is my life, am I able to have, enter into a marriage someday with, with, a, with a foundation um, that, uh, that is strong? And uh, maybe you're in a marriage now, and, you, and uh, as you listen to these messages over the last couple of weeks, uh, you, you would say, wow, our, our, we entered into this thing, and, um, you know, with not a, a strong foundation. And, uh, and, and so uh, maybe for some of you, uh, it's, it's been unfaithfulness in the form of a, adultery. Um, and uh, your, uh, your marriage kind of has that as a foundation that you've never been able to work through. Um, and um, so I don't know where you find your, yourself 
this morning, but we ask these questions. Will, will we ever be able to have a marriage that has a strong foundation? And the answer is, no matter where you've been and no matter the mistakes that you've made and the struggles that you've worked through, and it doesn't matter how your, your foundation looks right now, God's grace is able uh, to rebuild the foundation of your life. If you're a single person here this morning, God can rebuild the foundation of your life, make it better than new so that when you enter into a relationship, it can be built on a firm foundation. If you're, if you're single again, uh, God can shore up the foundation of your life so that uh, when God sends you that right person again, and, and if that's God's path for you, you can enter into that next relationship having a firm foundation. Here's what I want you to know this morning. Here's the, here's the bottom line of this message uh, this morning, and, and that is this. The grace and mercy of Jesus Christ doesn't just meet us in our messes. The grace and mercy of Jesus Christ doesn't just meet us in the messes of our lives, but it rebuilds us in our brokenness. It rebuilds us in our brokenness. And uh, we need to know that today. We need to understand that today, uh, that God's grace is, is bigger and more powerful than anything that you can throw at it, no matter what choice that we've made in our lives. Amen? And some of you, if you're honest today, you would say, wow, our, our marriage, our lives, some of you single people would say, yes, I am a testimony to that, to God's grace and, and God's mercy. Many years ago, um, in the town where I went to Bible college, a, a town called Allentown, Pennsylvania, uh, yes, the song that Billy Joel wrote about, uh, there was a large corporate office building that was built. It was eight stories high, and, and uh, I remember the building. It was, a, it was a great addition to the downtown of Allentown. There was a parking garage, and it was just a great office building that, that housed all kinds of different offices and hundreds of people. Um, used and went to this place and, and worked out of this building. But after a, a little while, the people that had offices in this building, they began to realize that their doors of their offices, some of their doors weren't closing properly anymore. They were kind of sticking. Some of the doors wouldn't close at all. A, a little while later, some other people started noticing cracks in the drywall that were starting to get worse and, and worse. And uh, it was discovered uh, one, uh, one day that there was a giant sinkhole that had formed underneath the building. And the building was beginning to sink into this sinkhole. Uh, windows were breaking, bricks were falling out of the building, and, uh, and, and they evacuated the building until they tried to figure out what the course of action was going to be. They brought in all kinds of experts uh, to evaluate the situation and engineers, and, and they, they, they brought groups of people in, and they began to evaluate um, the building, and they began to look at the foundation of the building in particular uh, because they really felt like they could fix the foundation of this building um, and they could salvage this, this building. But what they uncovered as they were looking at it is that when they were building the foundation of this building, they made some mistakes and there was uh, some problems and there was some mistakes that were made when they were laying the foundation of the building, so much so that they determined that there was no hope for this building, that they had to literally blow up this brand new building downtown, implode it and start again from the very ground up. And, um, and so we watched the news in the evening. It was broadcast. They actually, you know, sold, um, you know, raffle tickets to see who could be the one to push the button, you know, to see the building explode. And, and we watched as this brand new building was just leveled to the ground. And see, here's the reality in our marriages, in our marriages, uh, some of you have, have, have so many bricks that are falling out of your, uh, out of your marriage and the doors aren't closing properly anymore and the cracks are, are beginning to get wider and wider in your marriages. For, for single people, some of the cracks are, 
starting to reveal in relationships that you're in um, right now. And, and here's what we often do. We often approach our marriages like, uh, like we approach this building that I just, just described to you. And we come to the conclusion that the foundation is just too far gone, that, that because of the mistakes that we've made, because of the choices and the sin that has entered into our relationship, that there's no hope to rebuild this foundation. And so what we do is we believe the lie that says that there's no hope for this relationship and we end it. We blow it up. We implode it and we, we just make the decision that I guess we're just going to have to start again with somebody new. But here's what I want you to know today. And here is the hope that the grace of, of Jesus Christ, what we've been singing about all morning, it's just been so encouraging to just be singing about the unfailing love of, of our Lord and, and the grace and the mercy of our Lord. But here, here's what I want you to know this morning. There is no broken foundation that is too far gone that Jesus, the master builder, cannot rebuild. Do you guys believe that this morning? There is no broken foundation that is too far gone that Jesus, the master builder, cannot rebuild. Uh, you might say, well, you don't know what we've been through. You don't know our relationship. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. It doesn't matter. Here's what I know. Jesus will never look at your foundation and say, nope, there was problems when, it, when this foundation was, was, la- was laid. There's no hope for you. I can't even help you. Jesus, Jesus isn't saying, I can't even help you. There's no foundation that's too broken, too far gone, that Jesus, the master builder, cannot rebuild. Here's what I know. Maybe you have a, uh, a great foundation and your, your marriage uh, was, was built on a very firm foundation. Uh, singles, maybe you find yourself right now and you say, hey, you know, I, I have a great foundation that I'm working on in my life. Uh, I'm, I'm running after Jesus. Things are great. And, but here's what I want you to know. Sooner or later, there's going to be cracks that develop in all of our relationships sooner or later, because we're human and we sin, uh, we're, we're going to have um, cracks in our relationship and, and uh, our foundation is going to grow weak in some areas. And so this message is for every single person, wherever you find yourself, whether you find yourself in, in a situation where you would say, hey, uh, we're about you know, two weeks from, from pushing the button and, and blowing up this marriage. Or if you find yourself in a situation where you say, hey, we have a good marriage, we have a strong foundation, this message is for you. Because all of us, each of us, no matter where we're at, we need to hear and we need to learn and we need to lean into the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ because we forget, we forget the power of it uh, all the time in our lives. So today we're gonna look at a story of a man that uh, we would say, blew it. And he didn't just blow it a little bit. He blew it in a big way. We're going to be looking at uh, the story of David. More specifically, we're, we're going to look at the process, the rehab that David went through, the rebuilding process that he went, he went through. And we're going to learn something. We're going to learn something that hopefully you can apply to your life right now. And if not right now, in the future, because uh, there's a right way and there's a wrong way that we approach uh, the, the poor choices that we make in our, our lives. You, you, probably know the story of David. Uh, you can read all about it in 2 Samuel chapter 12 on your own. Um, but David committed adultery. He, he loved the Lord. He was, he was one of the most godly men in all of scripture. He was, he loved the Lord. Yet in his weakness, he took his eyes off of God. He placed his eyes on Bathsheba and he fell. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. Uh, he tried to cover up a murder of uh, her husband, and uh, he left a trail of, of refuge and damage along the way. And um, God sent the prophet Nathan into his life to, to point out the sin in his life. And uh, David, up until that point, was just very self-righteous. Uh, but, uh, but God moving in his life David recognized his sin 
And God confronted the sin in his life. And so we're going to look at what happened after that and his restoration process this morning. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51. If you need a Bible this morning, go ahead and raise your hand high and an usher would be glad to put one in your hand. While you're turning to Psalm 51... Um, I, I, I want to read the goal that we have this morning. And uh, goal number 28 on the front of your bulletin that we're praying for and that we believe that God is going to do in our lives and in our midst is this. Find ways to assist people to fall deeply in love with the word of God in a fresh way. Well, we believe that uh, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we want to assist you in this. We want to encourage you. I encourage you that if you are not in the habit of bringing a Bible with you um, every Sunday to do that. And more than that, what we want you to do and what I'm going to encourage you to do this morning is to interact with the pages of scripture. Uh, I'm going to ask you throughout this message today to underline words and to circle different words and, and and I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to, to get out a pen and take notes. And maybe you have to bother the guy three or four seats down and ask if you can borrow his pen. Um, so graciously say, yeah, absolutely, pass it down and do the whole pass it back and forth thing. That's cool. But I want you to interact this morning um, with, with God's word because we believe that it, it changes lives, that it's living and active. Uh, but Psalm chapter 51, we're going to stand to our feet and we're going to read together the first eight verses. Psalm chapter 51, we're going to read verses one through eight out loud together. Let's read this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. You may have a seat. Get out your pens and uh, look at verse one. David says, have, what's the word? Mercy. Go ahead and underline mercy. Underline the word mercy. And he says, have mercy on me. Who is, who's he, who's he talking to? Oh God. And circle, circle the word God according to, what's the next word? Unfailing love. Underline unfailing love according to your great compassion. Underline great compassion. See, notice that what David is doing right now, the very first thing that he does before he even talks about the sin in his life, before he even goes there with the sin in his life, he is calling out the character of God. And so this is really, really important. When, when we're uh, wanting God to rebuild the foundation of our life, when we're, uh, when we're confronting the sin in our life, it's really important that we start by calling out the character of God. And, and look at the different character qualities that David is calling out to God on. He's, he's asking God for mercy. See, David knew in that moment that he needed mercy. He needed the mercy of, of God. What is mercy? Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. God, mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. What did, what did David deserve in this moment? He deserved judgment, right? He deserved judgment for his sin, but he's calling on the character of God in this moment. Really, really important. And he's saying, God, have mercy. Have mercy on me. And then he's saying, according to your unfailing love. He recognizes what he needs right now is a love that doesn't stop. A love that doesn't keep on giving. That's what we call the word grace. See, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. 
Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And so David is saying, God, please don't give me what I deserve. I know what I deserve. Don't, please don't give me what I deserve. But God, please give me what I don't deserve. God, I need your unfailing love right now in my life to minister to me, to meet me right where I'm at, to meet me right in my sin. And then he says, according to your great compassion, according to your great compassion, he's, he's calling on a compassionate God. Not a God that's going to zap him. Not a God that's going to, you know, go after him with an iron fist. But he's calling on the character of God that says, God, I know you're a compassionate God. Please, right now in my life, I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I'm confronted with this sin in my life. I need your mercy. I need your love. And I need your compassion. And, and I love that that's such a great model that, that David shows us, that we need to, before we even address the sin, that we need to call out the character of God. Because here's the reality. Here's the reality. Write this down. It's only when we trust the character of God that we can have confidence in knowing our sin is forgiven. It's only when we trust the mercy, the grace the unfailing love, the great compassion of our incredible and amazing God that we can have the confidence in knowing our sin is forgiven. See, here's what I know. If we start with the sin rather than starting with God's character, we'll realize we need to change. You'll realize it. You know, the guilt overtakes you. The shame overtakes you. You know, I wish you, you, you begin to replay all of the, the choices that got you into the mess that you find yourself in. And, and we, we see our need to change, but, but we, we won't realize how lasting change happens until we approach God's character first. And so here's what will happen. If we begin with our sin first, before we, we, we see God's character and the goodness of God, we'll be tempted to believe that we have the ability on our own to make lasting changes. That's what we believe. We'll believe that we have the ability on our own, apart from God, to make lasting changes in our lives. And here's what I know from my own struggles and my own experiences and, and, and just doing life. Here's what I know. Changes that I make on my own without relying on the character of God, only last until about Tuesday. That's how good I am. And some of you, you can, you can get till Wednesday maybe because you're that good. But trust me, you're, you're, the changes that you try to make on your own, apart from the goodness of God, apart from the grace and mercy of God, apart from the unfailing love of God, it's not gonna get you very far. It's not gonna get you very far. And here's what's gonna happen. We get frustrated we get shame-filled, uh, we get guilt-ridden, and we feel locked into our sin with no way out. And that's when we get, get tempted to believe that our marriage is over, that things aren't ever going to be able to change. That's when we get tempted uh, to believe that we'll in, and never enjoy a future marriage, singles, um, when, when, when we can't get past the sin in our life because we're trying to do it on, on our own. And uh, singles, that's when we begin to settle for less, because we, we're filled with shame and we're riddled with, with guilt of our past. And we begin to speak our, to ourselves a lie. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later, how we, we speak lies to ourselves and then we end up believing them. And singles, here's a lie that, you, that you'll speak, that I don't deserve somebody uh, good. I don't deserve the things that I put down on my list. And we, we end up settling for less. Listen, the grace and the mercy of Jesus will rebuild the foundation of our past that God doesn't just meet us in the messes of our lives, but he builds the foundation. He rebuilds the foundation and makes it better than you could ever imagine. So we have to start with the character of God. Now look at verse three. Um, look at what David says. He says, for I, what's the word? No. Underline that word. No. In, in, in on, on your Bible, in your Bibles, for I know my, what, what's the word? My transgressions, my sin. I know my sin and my sin is always before me against you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to God. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right, God, in your verdict and you're justified when you judge me. So the next thing that David does is he owns his sin completely. After he understands the character of God and the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God, he owns his sin 
completely. This word know, the reason why I had you underline this word is, is because this, it means to be acquainted with something intimately. And when we find ourselves in sin, we don't gloss over the sin that, that, that we've committed. We, we need to um, understand that what we did violated a holy God, that what we did um, was, 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 was hurtful to God, hurts the heart of God. We sinned against God. And David is saying, I, I've sat with my sin. I know it. I know it intimately. I've searched my heart. I've allowed you, God, to search my heart and uncover the the areas of my heart that are sinful. And I know my sin. I know my transgression. And God, I know that you're right in your verdict and you're justified when you judge. And I love that David, he didn't make excuses for his sin. We like to make excuses sometimes for our sin. See, uh, my experience in my own life is that, you know, there, there are times for me to admit my sin and I, I'm able to admit my sin, but, but there are also times that I have to be sure that I justify them along the way. And, um, and, and so David, uh, we don't hear any justification for his sin. He doesn't make any excuses for his sin. You know, I could see David kind of saying, well, you know, if it wasn't for Bathsheba taking a bath on the roof right outside my window, I wouldn't have made this mistake. I wouldn't have sinned, right? And those are the types of excuses that we make for, for the sin in our lives. And David doesn't do that. He doesn't make any excuses. No sugarcoating. He flat out just says, God, I know what I did was wrong. I know what I did was evil. And he understood what he deserved. He understood what he deserved. See, we, we need to own our sin before God. We need, we need to own our sin before God. We need to, to ask God for his forgiveness. Now, here's what I know to be true about, about God's forgiveness. Jesus' blood on the cross covers our past sin, covers our present sin, and covers our future sin, right? Do you believe that? The blood of Jesus covers all of our sin, past, present, and future And Jesus has forgiven us for sins that we didn't even commit yet. Are you with me? So sometimes in our lives we say, well, why do I need to ask forgiveness for my sins that Jesus already paid for on the cross? And here's what I think is really important to understand. When we sin, we hurt the heart of a loving father. We we, we hurt our relationship with a loving father. So we're not asking for a pardon from an angry judge. What we're doing is we're, we're, we're seeking mercy from a grieving father. We've, we've hurt our relationship with Jesus when, when we sin. And so when we're, you know, our, our sins are forgiven at the cross, past, present, and future, but our relationship is hurt. That's why we need the cleansing Blood of Jesus daily in our lives. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So it's really important. We find ourselves, we're confronted with our sin. If it's a big sin, if it's a, a little sin in our eyes, as if there is such a thing, right? But it's important that we own our sin before God. But not only do we own our sin before God, it's important that we own our sin before our spouse or the person in which we've sinned against. Uh, Write this down. If you want a healthy relationship, you need to get used to learning how to own your sin. Singles in your future relationships, if you, you want to have a marriage that uh, is that foundation always stays strong and always is allowing God to rebuild the cracks and, and, and fill in those cracks and, and keep it vibrant and healthy, you need to learn how to own your own sin. Married couples, you need to learn to own your own sin. And sometimes the sin is, is minor. Um, you know, like, uh, like, like forgetting a date that we wrote down, not a date cause we don't date our 
you know, spouses. I'm just kidding. But not, not a day like that. But, you know, maybe we forget something. Maybe we fail to do something that you said you were going to do. Maybe you forgot to do it. And, you know, we need to own that. But other times it's a sin like, you know, the betrayal, like infidelity in a marriage or uh, a porn addiction that comes to light or um, abuse of some sort. Regardless of, of, of the sin, it's important that we, we own our sin. It's important that we seek forgiveness. And um, we, need, uh, we need to take a process that understands the, the empathy of the person that we're confessing to. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes um, I'll sit down with, with, with guys that confessed their porn addiction to their wives and uh, they struggled in this area of sin in their life. And uh, they felt the weight of their sin. They, they know the damage that it has caused in the relationship. They can, they can sense it. There's no emotional connection. The intimacy is, uh, you know, is not there. And they know and they've confronted their sin. They've even gone to the point of, of making it right with God and owning their sin before God and allowing God to begin to, to restore their lives. But they have this weight and they go to their spouse and they just dump it on, on their wives. And all of a sudden they feel... Like this huge weight was lifted off of their shoulders because they've just confessed this. And they now feel, uh, you know, the freedom in, in, in confessing sin. And there is, there's incredible freedom in confessing sin. But what sometimes guys fail to realize is that weight that was lifted off of their chest has now been placed directly on top of their wife's chest. And now she's dealing with, with all of that. And so as we, as we you know, own our sin with our spouses, we have to be sensitive of, of what we're doing. And we have to understand and empathize with the person that we're confessing to, whether it's in a marriage relationship, whether it's uh, if it's in a broken relationship at, at work or with a family member. We have to always um, think of, of, of putting ourselves in the shoes of the person that we're confessing to. And uh, as Jim has mentioned, Pastor Jim has mentioned in previous sermons, you know, we don't need to go into all of the details. Uh, We need to own our sin in such a way that honors God and honors the person that we're sitting uh, with. And it's helpful to, to have a plan in place, to talk about the restoration plan that, that, uh, that, that, that God has, has brought you uh, to and the plans for the future. But I want to talk to you for a minute. Maybe you're on the other side. You're on the receiving end of somebody confessing to you. I want to talk to you for a, for a moment. And I want to give you some things. Here's some things that I want you to, to know this morning. So somebody comes comes to you, uh, they've sinned against you, they've uh, offended you, and they're now coming to you. Here's some things that I think are important for you to understand. Number one, acknowledge your pain and anger. Acknowledge it. You need to be able to uh, express what you're feeling, that you've been hurt, you've been violated, you've been, uh, you're, you're crushed. And don't hold back on what you're feeling in that moment. Acknowledge the pain and acknowledge the anger. Here's, here's what I would say. Number two, be specific about future expectations. Talk about the things that you expect to be different next time. The change that you desire to see, the expectations that you have with whoever that person is that's confessing to you. Uh, I would say this, give up your right to get even, but insist on being treated better in the future. Give up your right to get even, but insist on being treated better in the future. Make sure also you, you let go of blame, let go of resentment and negativity toward the other person. You have to do that. You have to let go of that negativity. It's hurting you. It's hurting you from moving forward. Let go of blame, resentment, negativity toward the other person. Communicate your act of forgiveness to the other person. Sometimes that, that takes some time to work through some of that. But at some point, you need to communicate your act of forgiveness to the, to the person. And then work towards reconciliation, understanding that it is a process. And that process looks different for every single person. And um, it looks different uh, based on the individual and based on the situation. But those are some things that... Um, 
that we need to understand when, when somebody is asking you for forgiveness and somebody is owning their sin to you. But if you want a healthy relationship, you have to get used to learning how to earn or how to own your, your own sin. Look at verse 10. Jump down to verse 10. So David recognized the character of God. He called out the character of God, the mercy, the unfailing love, the grace, the the great compassion of God. Then he owned his sin. Thirdly, look at what what he does. He's now seeking and desiring long-term transformation. Look, Look at what he says in verse 10. Create in me, and what's he asking for? He's asking for a pure heart. Underline that, that, uh, those two words, pure heart. And then he's, he's talking to God. So circle the word God. Creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit. Underline steadfast spirit. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Circle the word Holy Spirit. Verse 12, he's saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Underline joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Underline willing spirit to sustain me. See, David, after he's confessed his sin, after he's owned his sin before God, he's now desiring to change. He wants to change. He doesn't want to continue to live in the same patterns of sinfulness in his life. And so he recognizes that he can't do it on his own. And so he's asking God, God, I need you to do a heart change in me. He's asking God to create in him a pure heart. He's asking for heart change. He recognizes that his sin is not a behavior problem as much as it is a heart problem. And that's really important that we get that. We have to uncover the layers of our sin. The sin is the outcome of our heart. But we have to begin to to look in our heart. Because if we try to just change our sinful behaviors through through behavior modification, here's what's going to happen. You'll be able to change uh, maybe a a pattern or a sinful behavior. But guess what? It's going to pop up in another area of your life. That's all it's going to do. It's kind of like that whack-a-mole game. Did you ever play that thing? You know, you hit the mole and you get that one, but then it pops up over here and then, you know, you're, you're knocking it over there and putting out, and that's what it's like to, to try to think or try to address sin in our lives without addressing our heart. And Paul understands, or Paul, David understands that. And he's saying, he's saying, God, I, I need you to create in me a pure heart, I'm asking for heart change. And then he's asking for for God to renew a steadfast spirit in him. He wants to see some consistency in his life. He doesn't want to keep going back to that same sin in his life. And he recognized that he's just going to keep going back to those same sinful, in in David's case, his lustful heart, he's going to continue to lust after women. If, if God doesn't create a steadfast spirit in him of consistency. So he's asking God, God, help me in that area. And then he's asking God to restore the joy of your salvation. God, I, wanna, I want to walk in joy of knowing you. And that only comes when we're clean before the Lord. That only comes when we're, we're living our life of repentance before the Lord, confessing our sin, keeping our list short before, before God. And David is saying, man, I want, I want joy right now in my relationship with you. And some of you, you would say right now, if you're honest, man, you don't have any joy in your life because sin has just zapped the joy out of your life. There's just absolutely no joy in your salvation. And God can renew it. He can, he can do that in your life, but it's going to require heart transformation. And then he's saying, God, I, I want you to grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I, I need a willing spirit because I know my will and my will wants to lust. My will wants to live contrary, God, to your will. And so I need a willing heart And that willing heart, God, can only come by you changing my heart. Uh, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we would have the same old nasty hard heart in our relationships and in our marriages. He promises to give us a new heart and he's given us a new heart. 
If, if you've trusted Christ to forgive you of your, of your sin and you've placed your faith and trust in him, he has given you a new heart. I love uh, Ezekiel 36, what God says. Is Ezekiel 36, verses 24 and 28 in the message. Um, listen to these words. God says, I'll give you a new heart put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. See, the problem right now, uh, prior to Christ, we have a self-willed heart. It can only do one thing, sin. And we need a God-willed heart. And so God gives us a God-willed heart. And then, and then um, in Ezekiel says, I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and to live by my command. So if you are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, making it possible. You have a heart that's able to respond to God. You have a heart that is capable of being God-willed. Now, we fight that every single day, don't we? Because our flesh continues to to rise up. That's why every single day we need to ask God, God, I I want to have God will, not self will. God, I want to live according to what pleases you today. God, I need your Holy Spirit to move and work in me, in my life today, because I know me and I know my my sinful uh, ability to make choices that dishonor you. And so we tap into what's already there. We have a new heart. We have a heart that is, that is able to make uh, God decisions. So we need to rely on the Holy Spirit in that process. See, sin is birthed in our heart because somewhere along the way we have believed a lie. And it's incredibly important that we address the lie that we have believed and replace it with the truth. See, somewhere along the way, we believed a false promise. Maybe it was a false promise of acceptance. Maybe it was a false promise of approval or satisfaction or comfort or self-worth or beauty. Somewhere along the line, we have believed a false promise about these things. And those false promises lead us, lead our, our heart and our propensity of our heart to sin. And so it's really important that we address our sin at a heart level. Because if we don't, we'll just continue to sin. We have to address our heart, at a, at a, our sin at a heart level. So we have to ask ourselves why questions. Some really good why questions. See, because here's, here's, the, here's the reality. If we don't address the why of our sin, why we're sinning and the false promises that we've believed, here's what's going to happen. We will either become more religious, thinking that we just need to try harder, or we'll, uh, we'll become more rebellious. That's, that, those are the options. If we try to address the sinfulness in our lives without addressing the heart issue and allowing God to change us at a heart level. We're just either going to become more religious, we're just going to keep trying harder, or we're going to become more rebellious. I'll just sin more because obviously um, I, I can't get over this in my life. And so why questions are really important. Here's, here's type some questions. This is what I'm talking about. This is what we need to do when we're alone in our sin. We need to ask God these types of questions. What do I believe this sin will do for me? Like when I'm looking at those images on the computer screen, when I'm lusting after that woman, when I'm engaging emotionally in an improper way with um, that guy, when, you know, whatever it is, when I'm overeating, what, what is the false promise that I'm believing? What, what do I believe this sin is going to accomplish for me? That's a really good question that we should be asking. And when we begin to answer that question truthfully, we, we begin to uncover some false promises that we've been believing. Here's another really good question that we should ask ourselves. You find yourselves in a, in a, in a habitual sin that you're struggling with, you're wrestling with. What am I desiring or valuing most when I sin in this area? Like, what am I desiring what am I going after? What am I valuing the most when, I, when, I'm, when I'm sinning in this area? And sometimes we'll find that the answer to that question is I'm desiring comfort. I'm desiring to relieve stress. 
in my life. I'm desiring to get my own way. Sometimes that's, if you're honest, that's the, the answer to the question. But we have to address our, our sin at a, at a heart level. And here's what I know. Here's what I know to be true in my own life. When I address sin at a heart level, when I begin asking these questions, like, what's really going on in my heart, God? Reveal that to me. Like, what is it? Here's, here's what begins to happen. I begin to uncover these false promises and the Holy Spirit of God begins to replace these false promises with the truthful promise. And, and our hard heart is replaced by a God-willing heart. Our flesh is replaced by a God-willing heart that longs to defeat sin and longs to live out of a love for, for Jesus. That's what happens. See, here's what we need to understand. We have to fight sin. Scripture talks about that, uses that picture a lot, that we have to fight sin. Um, and here's what we sometimes falsely believe. We, we sometimes that we have to fight sin so that we can be made presentable to God. That's what, sometimes we, we, we believe that, and that's inaccurate. Sometimes we believe that we have to fight sin in our life so that we can be presentable to God. We don't fight sin so that we can be made presentable to God. We fight sin because we have already been made presentable to God through the blood of Jesus. So we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory, and there's a big difference. We fight from victory, not for victory. Romans 6 Verses six and seven says this. It says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So we need to fight. We fight from a place already a victory because God's already, he's already won the battle for us. The victory's already won, but we need to fight from that place of victory. That's really important. And we need to create a battle plan in our lives. I want to talk to married couples uh, for for a moment. Um, You know, there are things that have been contributing to your foundation being weakened. There are some things that you need to uncover in your, in your relationship that have contributed to this foundation being eroded away. And, um, Sexual purity, when it comes to our relationships, it requires both a passionate want to. We have to want to remain sexually pure, but it also requires a plan for how to. It requires a plan for how to. And um, so I'm going to give you just a couple of, couple of things. Uh, number one, establish new and healthy patterns of heart-level communication. As a pastor that, that sits down with couples uh, often, uh, several couples a week will come into my office and they will, they will sit down and they will, will talk about the struggles that we're, we're, they're going through in their relationship, the problems that they're facing. Um, most of the time, uh, it is uncovered in our conversation that there's no real healthy patterns of heart level communication. There's practical communication that's happening. You know, who's going to pick up Joey after practice? Who's going to pick up the milk on the way home? Hey, can you make sure you let the dog out before you go? You know, that's practical communication. That needs to happen, right, in our relationships. But we need to, we need to practice and learn how to have healthy patterns of heart-level communication in our, in our relationships, in our marriages, at a heart level, um, beyond the practical-type conversation. Questions like, Here's a good, here's some examples of some heart level converse, uh, questions that you guys can, can have with one another. What are some healthy things that we see in other marriages and how can we incorporate those qualities into our marriage? That's a great question. What are some healthy qualities that we see in other marriages and how can we incorporate them in, in our marriage? Take some time and work through that as couples. Here's another one. When you come home from work, you're asking your spouse this. When you come home from work, what can I do or say that will make you feel the most loved? That's a great question. What's the expectation? What what can I do or say to you that would make you feel the most loved when you come home from work? Ask that question. Here's another one. What are the main stressors currently in your life? How can I help to alleviate some of the stress for you? 
Or here's another one. Is there any conflict that we had this past week that you feel incomplete about? That's a great question. And those are heart level questions. Those are questions that are going to dig below the surface and get to the foundation of your marriage so that God can begin doing the work of shoring up your foundation and rebuilding your foundation. Number two, uh, begin praying and pursuing God together if you're not already doing that. Pick a devotional that you can do together. Pick a Bible reading plan that you can dig in the word together and have conversations with and, and learn and grow together. Hold one another's hand and pray together as a couple. Have conversations about the struggles um, and what God's teaching you, what he's leading you through. And then thirdly, I'll say this. Get serious about setting boundaries. Get serious about setting boundaries. If, if you're a single person, create, create them on your own. If you're a married couple, create boundaries together that you both agree, uh, that you both agree on. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 says this, says, but among you there should, there must not be, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint, not even just a little bit, not even something that could be misconstrued as maybe that was crossing the line. That's how serious we need to get about the boundaries, the sexual boundaries in particular that we create in our, in our marriages. Um, in, in other words, when we look at our lives, we should have boundaries in place that, um, that are, are so far from the edge of the cliff that even if we cross over those boundaries, we still haven't fallen off the cliff. Does that make sense? That's how far back our, our boundaries need to be. Some of you guys have boundaries that are right on the cliff. And the minute you, you step over that boundary, you're off the cliff already. And so my wife and I, we have created boundaries that are so far from the edge that even if one of us crosses over that boundary, we still haven't fallen off the edge of the cliff. I want to give you some of our boundaries. These are my wife, my wife and I, our boundaries that we've created together. These aren't your boundaries. If you find them useful, then great. But the point is that all of us need to create boundaries. Here's some that, that we've established. We won't drive in a car alone with a person of the opposite sex. Unless it's our family, uh, unless it's my daughter, unless it's my wife or my mom. I'm not driving in a car alone with the person of the opposite sex, and neither is my wife. We're just not going to do that. I violated that one time in our relationship coming back from a conference and we had a carload of people and I dropped off people based on where they lived geographically and it worked out that there was a female that was the last person that needed to get dropped off and me. And I'm like, oh no. And, and here's what happened. Like I was like, oh no, I'm breaking a boundary. Now, did, was I sinning? Absolutely not. But here's what I know. I, we've set that boundary and it was so far from the edge of the cliff that even though I broke that boundary that, that, that one time, I still didn't fall over the cliff. Does that make sense? That's the kind of boundaries that we need to set. And by the way, I called my, my wife on the phone and I had her on the phone the whole time until I dropped that, that lady off. I'm like, honey, uh, yeah, it just so happens uh, the way I dropped off people, I'm here in the car with Leah. And, and uh, so how are you doing? How was your day? And I stayed on the phone. Why? Because it was a boundary that I didn't want to violate. Uh, we, have a, we have a boundary. Here's another one. Our phones and our computers are always accessible to each other. We, we make a point. We leave our phones out in the open. We don't keep our phones in our pockets when we're at home. We put them out in the open. It's, it's like when I put my phone on the counter, I'm saying to my wife, I want you to have permission to, to get into my phone. Uh, we, we have passwords that we know what our passwords are. We, 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 I invite my wife to look at my phone and she invites me to look at, at her phone. And that's, that's a boundary that we have. Um, if I receive an, a, a personal email, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe a, a lady will invite our family to a party or birthday party. And, uh, you know, she won't have my wife's email, so she'll email me. And if, if that ever happens, I get personal emails. I reply and I always CC my wife. That's just what I do. And my wife does the same thing. That's a boundary that we've established in our relationship because I don't want there to be a hint 
of, of, of any sexual immorality going on in my, in my life. So that's just what we do. Uh, we make a conscious effort, another boundary, uh, to, to see and treat people of the opposite sex as family. Scripture uh, talks about that. First Timothy 5, uh, 1 and 2, Paul tells Timothy, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. One of the practical ways that I put this into practice is if um, a female comes in and is talking to me from a, a pastoral standpoint and I have the opportunity to pray, I will often use the words, you know, Lord, be with my sister in this situation. I'm sending a strong signal to her who I'm praying with, that I view you as a, as a sister in the Lord. And, and so we, we, we make an effort to see and to treat people as family, as the family of God. It's just a boundary that we have. Here's another one. Um, we research movies we are planning to watch. We take a few minutes, we go to pluggedin.com, and we search for the movie that we're looking at renting, or we're looking to go to see in the theater, and we, we read that thing. It's either my wife or I, and hey, what, what's the deal with the movie? And if there's any hint of anything sexual in the movie, there's any nudity, there's strong sexual overtones, guess what? We don't watch the movie. That's a boundary that we have. I don't need any help lusting as a man. Can, dudes, can you appreciate that? I don't need any help lusting. I, I don't want to watch that stuff. That's not good for me. And it's not good for our marriage. And that's a boundary that, that we've established. We have covenant eyes, um, internet filter on our phones and computers. We invite accountability into our lives. Um, we honor each other's discernment, even if we don't agree with it. This is huge. And so um, if my wife says to me, I think she has an unhealthy attraction towards you, speaking of a, of a female, and I know that my wife is struggling in that area because she feels in her, her, her life and her discernment that there's a, a female that has an unhealthy attraction towards me, or I feel the same with her. We've given each other permission uh, to change how we relate to that person. And so often I see this happening, and instead of just saying, you know what, honey, absolutely, I trust your discernment in this situation, oftentimes we defend it. Oh, no, there's nothing. No, 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 no. She's just, you know, whatever. And we make excuses for it. Honor your spouse's discernment, even if you don't agree with it. Do it for the sake of your marriage. I'd rather offend a female by relating differently to her than, than, than dishonor my, my wife's intuition. Those are some boundaries that we've established in our relationship. And I encourage you, married couples, to set boundaries. Single, single, set boundaries for yourself as well, for your own sexual purity. It's so, so important if we're going to fight sin off in our, in our lives and in our relationships. Uh, look at verse 13. We're going to wrap things up. Uh, David says this. What's the first word in verse 13? Then, underline that word, then. Then, what's then? What's after I've been restored? After God has, has done work in my heart, changing my heart from sinful patterns, after he, he has, um, after I've gone, done, done everything to get right with God. I love this. David says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. See, David recognizes that God wants to use his past failures to come alongside someone else who is hurting, someone else who is struggling with the same thing that he went through. And that's the amazing thing about God's grace. God's grace doesn't just forgive you of your sin. It doesn't just restore you, but it puts you into ministry. It puts you into ministry, uh, ministering to, to someone else who's dealing with the same thing that, that you're, you've struggled with. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And some of you, you're, you're doing that wonderfully. You know, you would say, man, our marriage was, was headed for divorce and God stepped in. We confessed our sin. We got things right. We allowed God to shore up the foundation of our lives. And now we're a picture People look at our lives and, and, and they can't believe that we ever made it because we shouldn't have made it. Our marriage should have been dead. We should have hit the button and imploded our marriage. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, rebuilt the foundation of our lives. We have a testimony. God is not 
ignorant to all of the ways that we've sinned against him. And and, in fact, when God met you in your sin, you had the murder weapon in your hand. Think about that. God's grace met you as he was dying on the cross for your sin. You were responsible for putting him on the cross. Your sin was responsible. You were holding the cold nails in your hand. You were holding the murder weapon in your hand. You were holding the hammer and the nails in your hand. And God's grace said, I love you anyway. His his grace and his mercy met you. And here's what I love about the gospel. Here's what I love about the gospel. God turns the hammer and the nails into a trophy of God's grace. This now becomes a trophy of God's grace in your lives and it becomes part of the story that he's, he's writing in our lives. We're gonna, we're gonna wrap things up by singing a song together. The band's gonna come out singing a powerful song of the grace and the mercy of, of, of Jesus and how he intersected our lives at when we, when we needed him the most. And man, I, I just encourage you to allow this, the words of this song to wash over you this morning. I'm gonna pray, Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy. God, thank you that when we were at our very, very worst, you gave us your very, very best. Thank you that you've created a way for us to, to find forgiveness for our sin even when the nails were in our hands, even though the the hammer was in our hands, Lord, thank you for, for making our sin and our past mistakes a trophy of your grace. We wanna put that trophy high up in our lives. We want people to see it. We wanna teach people to turn from their sin and turn to a loving savior because of what you've done in our lives. God, move in us in a powerful way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.